warm welcome to uh, Bible Shots. Uh, whether you're joining us in a, a watch party from a small law firm in Barangaroo or in, you're in the nation's capital, like our speaker this morning, you're very welcome. Uh, we want to stand with you at this difficult time. My name's Peter Rensch, and Bible, study, uh, Bible Shots uh, exists to consider the bigger questions of life, and we do that by looking at the Bible together. Uh, if you're new in our midst, very warm welcome to you. The format is a short talk followed by a Q&A. And you can ask questions at any time by using the Q&A function at the base of your screen if you're joining via Zoom, or if you're joining in live via Facebook feed, you can just post a message there and it'll come through to us. Um, we're very privileged to have uh, speaking for us again today, Lachlan Orr, who's the captain of the Bible Shots team. And uh, he's gonna be picking up uh, on his series from the Book of Ruth, the Old Testament Book of Ruth, which tells, as you know, the, the incredible story of hope in an uncertain time, which is probably one of the most apt stories that we all need to hear at the moment. So I'm really looking to, forward to hearing from him. Uh, Lachlan's asked me to read from Ruth chapter three. So that's uh, a couple of chapters through the story. And um, that's gonna come up on the screen if you'd like to follow along as I read. So. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, uh, and here we go. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, who's, uh, um, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be in willowing, uh, winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best, best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boris had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boris had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter 
is settled today. Over to you, Lachlan. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, hope is essential for human life and flourishing. But what can you hope in when the future is uncertain? As we're continuing to live in a coronavirus impacted world, many of us are, are hoping for a cure or a vaccine. Uh, but if the last week is anything to go by, uncertainty continues to abound. Uh, last week, we heard about Australia's capacity to get hold of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, but then this week, uh, there's the news that questions how ethical the development of the vaccine is. Uh, today, I saw there is news that the University of Queensland vaccine has had early test results that are better than anticipated, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Uh, hope is essential for human life and flourishing, but when the world is so uncertain, what can you hope in? The psychiatrist and Auschwitz survivor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, uh, he observed firsthand the detrimental effect that losing hope can have, uh, and he observed it in his fellow inmates. Um, and the importance of hope in difficult times. In his classic work, Man's Search for Meaning, he records an observation that inmate deaths rose in the week between Christmas 1944 and New Year 1945. And the theory is that many of the prisoners had the naive hope that they'd be home by Christmas. When this didn't happen, they were discouraged, dispirited. They lost hope to the point that their ability to resist uh, resist things like disease, decreased. Many prisoners succumbed to sickness and died because of their lack of hope. Hope is essential for human life and flourishing, but when the world is so uncertain, what can you hope in? Well, in case you missed Peter's welcome before, uh, let me welcome you to Bible Shots. I'm Lachlan, and I'm really glad to have you joining us today. Uh, like Peter said, the Bible raises big questions. It raises questions that everyone grapples with at some point in our lives. It's one of the things I love about looking at the Bible, and it's one of the reasons that we at Bible Shots regularly set time aside to consider a part of the Bible and what it has to say to us today. And today's talk, it's part of a series where we are looking at a part of the Bible, the book of Ruth. Uh, it's a part of the Bible that's full of drama and romance. It tells what's arguably the sweetest story in the Bible, which makes for a nice change of pace in the midst of our uncertain times. But at the same time, Ruth does not hide from the reality that life is anything but straightforward. It doesn't hide from the fact that life is full of uncertainty, disappointment and grief. So as we face this time of heightened uncertainty, Ruth is a great book to be reading and thinking through. Uh, and so in case you're new to Bible Shots, uh, you don't have to hold to a particular faith position to get value out of Bible Shots. We can all look at the Bible together and it raises profound questions for all of us to think through. And anyone who wants to engage with what we're looking at in our Q&A time is welcome to send their questions through uh, either using the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen if you're on Zoom uh, or typing a question into the comment section if you've joined us on Facebook. Uh, but the Book of Ruth also uh, can raise questions because it comes from a very different time and culture to ours. Some parts seem strange and they might even grate against our sensibilities. I'll address some of these as we go through, but if there's something you want to, be, to dig a bit deeper on, uh, that could be something that you could ask about in q and I'd love to hear your questions then. But our big question that we're grappling with as we look at Ruth chapter three is what 
can you put your hope in? And we're going to do this in four parts. First, risky business. Second, willing and able. Third, a treasured possession. And finally, what can we put our hope in today? They're the four parts of today's talk. And so part one, risky business, because as this story begins, the time has come for Naomi and Ruth to make one final risky play. A key part of the story of Ruth is the relationship between Ruth and Boaz. If you're a romantic at heart, then the previous part of the story that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, well, it ended with a bit of a letdown. There were some initial sparks, some initial interaction between Ruth and Boaz, but by the end of the story, nothing had happened. Now, I'm not really one for trying to set people up romantically, but I have plenty of friends who love playing Cupid. And I know they get really frustrated when they bring two people together who seem perfect for each other and nothing happens. Their plans to see a new romance blossom are thwarted. It's incredibly disappointing. But when nothing happens between Boaz and Ruth, there's actually a bigger problem going on. There's a bigger problem than just not seeing a relationship blossom. See, over the first two chapters of Ruth, we've been following the lives of these two women, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and they were struck with a tragedy that upended their lives. Naomi's husband died, and after that, her son, Ruth's husband, also died. Now, this is clearly tragic, but it's even more tragic in the ancient world. You see, in the ancient world, women were much more dependent on the men in their lives. Uh, children, particularly sons, were essential to making sure that you were looked after as you, uh, and fed as you aged. And so one of the ways that childless widows, a particularly vulnerable segment of society, were looked after was that it was expected that a deceased man's brother would marry the widow and provide her with children. That might seem odd and unappealing to us, but it helped make sure that vulnerable people were not left out in the cold. But in our story, there's no brother to marry Ruth, to keep the family going and ensure that she and Naomi are provided for and protected. So Naomi and Ruth's futures look bleak and uncertain. They need someone to rescue them. But then we met Boaz. But as we already noted, despite the fact that there seemed to be something initially between Ruth and Boaz, they reached the end of the barley harvest, the thing that was keeping them in each other's company, and nothing had happened. Nothing had happened. And Naomi and Ruth look like they've run out of options and are continuing to face a bleak and uncertain future. But our story is not over. Like Peter read in verse one, one day Ruth's mother-in-law said to Naomi, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. The barley harvest has ended. The window of opportunity for this relationship to blossom has almost closed, but they're not quite done yet. The clock is pounding down and it's time for the final play to resolve Naomi and Ruth's problem once and for all. It's time to end the precarious situation that they are in and end to the uncertain, bleak future that they have continued to face throughout the story. You see, Naomi and Ruth, they can't actually do anything themselves about their uncertain future. 
but they know someone who can. Naomi draws our attention again to Boaz and she outlines her plan to Ruth. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place he's lying, then go, uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. The plan is reasonably straightforward, but it is a risky plan for Ruth to carry out. Ruth is putting herself in a very vulnerable position. You know, she's getting dressed up. She's sneaking out to where Boaz is sleeping. She's lying down at his feet. There's plenty of room for someone to get the wrong idea and either damage her reputation, which would make getting by in the future more difficult, or might enable an unscrupulous man to take advantage of her. Naomi and Ruth are making a risky play. Ruth is putting herself in a very risky situation. Her reputation and her safety are on the line. And on top of that, we're still kind of wondering, well, is Boaz both willing and able to rescue them? That's part two of our talk. Is Boaz willing and able? See, if you're facing a problem that is beyond your ability to deal with, you need someone who is willing and able to deal with the problem. And we have seen that Boaz is someone who is able to rescue them. He was a close relative and he had the financial means to provide for them. Boaz was able to, provide, to deal with the problem that they faced. But is he willing? It's a question that's been left unanswered because after seven or so weeks together during the harvest, nothing had happened between Ruth and Boaz. And I mean, you could make a good case for why Boaz shouldn't be getting involved with them. I mean, firstly, Boaz wasn't under any legal obligation to rescue them. But more than that, the sort of rescue they require is costly. I've been using the word rescue, that Naomi and Ruth need someone to rescue them. But more precisely, they need Boaz to redeem them. Uh, redemption, it's a very particular type of rescue. It involves paying a cost in order to regain something or to rescue someone. So, for example, if someone sold themselves into slavery because of financial insolvency, they could be redeemed by a family member who paid the price for their freedom. Redemption is a costly rescue. And this sort of uh, rescue that uh, Naomi and Ruth need is costly. It's not just a rescue, it's a redemption. And it's not just about money, because as we, will, uh, as we hear earlier, this rescue involves signing up to marry Ruth and provide a family. This is a long-term, life-changing commitment. And on top of that, Ruth, well, she's actually, when you think about it, potentially a social liability. You know, she was a foreigner, but not just any kind of foreigner. Ruth was a Moabite. It wasn't in the too distant past when Moabite women had seduced Israelite men away from worshipping God. Moabite women had a black mark against their name. But also, Moab was one of the key foreign oppressors of Israel during the time of the judges, the same time period that the book of Ruth occurs in. See, with no obligation to redeem them, a monetary cost, a lifelong commitment to someone who is likely seen as a social liability, you can understand why Boaz might be hesitant. Boaz is able to redeem, 
but is he willing? Well, we read that Ruth puts Naomi's plan into action. What will Boaz do? Is he willing to redeem them? Now, that uh, thing about uncovering the feet does seem a little bit weird. Feel free to ask more in Q&A time if you want. But I think part of it is just so that in the middle of the night, when he gets cold, he's woken up. You know, in the same way that if you've uh, ever found your doona to stop covering you during the night, either you've kicked it off or, you know, your partner has rolled over and pulled it with them, uh, you wake up because you're cold and you try and pull it back. And when Boaz wakes up because he's cold, reaches out to cover himself up again, Oh, there's a woman, it's, it's Ruth. And she asks the key question in verse nine. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth is asking Boaz to redeem her. But the scene is just a little bit more poetic than that. You see, the idea of spreading a cloak over a woman was an image used of marriage. So as Boaz goes to spread his cloak over himself because he's cold, Ruth asks him to spread it over her as well. If the scene was being played out today, it might be similar to if she had untied his shoe covertly and then when he gets down on one knee to tie up his shoelace, she says, don't just get down on one knee to tie up your shoe. While you're down there, I'd like a ring as well. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's poetic in how it plays out. But there's still more. There's actually a callback to a part of the story we looked at last time. You see, in the last chapter, in Ruth chapter 2, when Ruth asked Boaz why he was so kind to her, part of his answer suggested that his kindness was really just an extension of God's kindness. He said, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And when Ruth makes her request to Boaz, you could actually translate it as spread your wings over me instead of spread your garment over me. There's other modern English translations that go with spread your wings. It's like she's asking Boaz to keep being the means of God blessing her. It's like she points back to the fact that this redemption she is after and that Boaz is providing ultimately comes from God. See, at one level, it looks like a risky plan. Ruth is putting herself in a vulnerable position and we don't know if Boaz will be willing to redeem her. But I think the story is giving us hints to say these women ultimately trusted God. They believed he was trustworthy and they could hope in his redeemer. Uh, now, Boaz isn't ambiguous about his intentions from here on in. You know, he doesn't say, oh, uh, cool, that's nice. Well, you know, maybe we possibly uh, do something on the weekend. We'll like hang out or something. Uh, no, he is clear with his intentions from this point on. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. 
Uh, finally, the tension is resolved. Ruth and Boaz's relationship has blossomed. It's a scene that could be backed with any number of songs. You know, when a man loves a woman, or love is in the air, or you don't know you're beautiful, just whatever romantic backing track you kind of think of, that, that's what we kind of have going on here. But it only lasts a second because we find out they still have another hurdle to face. There's someone else who has a better legal case to be the one who gets to rescue Ruth. Verse 12, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and the morning. If he wants to do his duty as guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. See, there is still another hurdle. We aren't quite there yet. But Ruth doesn't need to worry about her future. Boaz will make sure she is protected and provided for. And he makes sure she knows this by starting then and there. Uh, Ruth asks him to protect her and provide for her. And that is what Boaz does. He offers her physical protection. You know, instead of sending her off into the dark night, he has her stay with him. He works to protect her reputation. He makes sure she's up and away early so that there's no rumour of scandal. And he provides more food for Ruth and Naomi. Verse 15, he also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Now, we're not quite sure how much six measures is, but I think the significant thing to notice is that it's six measures. Uh, it's a symbolic number in the Bible. It, it symbolised, you know, not quite complete. Now, seven is complete. There are seven days of creation, but six isn't quite there. We're not quite finished. And it's really symbolic of where things are at with the story. We're not quite at the end yet. There's still something to be done. There's still a hurdle to get over. And so as we get to the end of today's part of the story, Naomi has some final words of wisdom for Ruth, who's caught in this situation where his, her problem is, is sort of resolved, but also sort of not resolved. Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. But while she waits, Ruth can look at what Boaz has done and look at this token, the grain that he has given her, the six measures as evidence of his intent of what he will do. Ruth and Naomi can hope in their redeemer. They can hope in God's redeemer. We've considered uh, Ruth chapter three. So come to the final part of our talk. What can we hope in today? It's a beautiful part of the story of Ruth that we've looked at, but what does it have to say to us today? We heard back at the start of, uh, of the talk about Viktor Frankl's extreme example of why hope is important. And so I think one of the questions that this raises is whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's important to consider what do you hope in and what can you hope in? They're important questions wherever you do your thinking, maybe it's in the shower, maybe it's when you're out walking, they're important questions to actually come up with answers to. If you're having a conversation with someone later about what you did at lunch today, those are two good discussion questions to actually start thinking through things further with someone else. But it's worth all of us considering what are our answers to those questions. What do you hope in and what can you hope in?
The story also asks us to consider the fact that we need rescue. You see, as we've looked at the book of Ruth, it's asked us to consider that like Ruth and Naomi, we live in an uncertain world. To consider that no matter how secure we make ourselves, there are always things outside of our control and that the only real certainty is that sooner or later, death will find us. It's asked us to consider that we need rescue and the only one who can do that is God. But there's more to the problem. You see, like Ruth and Naomi, we also need more than a rescue. We need redemption. See, the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death, those are really just symptoms of the deeper problem that all of us are cut off from and opposed to God, the source of life and blessing and good certainty. It's what the Bible means when it says we are sinners. It means we have a debt to pay to God and we cannot repay it. We cannot do anything to deal with the problem of death and we have cut ourselves off from and incurred a debt with the one who can do something about it. We need someone who is willing and able to redeem us. But just like God provided Boaz as a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, God sent a redeemer for us, someone who was willing and able to redeem us and bring us back to God. And that person is Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the redemption price for us. He died in our place so that we could be restored to God, the source of life. John, one of Jesus' biographers, wrote, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Jesus is the way that we can get back to God and the problem of death and the uncertainty it brings is resolved. Uh, so there are a few situations you might find yourself in. Uh, first, if you are considering, just considering what the Bible is all about, uh, this is the heart of it. But if you're considering what the Bible is all about, this could also generate more questions, perhaps more than we have time to answer in Q&A time, particularly since I notice I'm uh, a little over time. Uh, but the Bible Shops community is one that would love to help you consider the claims of Jesus for yourself. If someone invited you along, I'm sure they'd be happy to discuss things further with you and help you uh, answer your questions. But if you prefer, you could also contact me. I'd love to talk through your questions or help you think through what your next point of investigation is, uh, whether it's over Zoom or an appropriately distanced cup of coffee. Uh, the easiest way to contact me is uh, bibleshots at citybibleforum.org. Um, but maybe you've done some investigating. You know, you're convinced actually you are guilty of sin. Your sin is a problem and you need someone to redeem you but you're thinking maybe there is actually too much wrong with me. God could never accept me. Why would a redeemer rescue me? Well, one of the things we actually saw in today's story was that God provided a redeemer for someone who was completely foreign to God and his ways. No matter who you are, or no matter what you've done, God offers to redeem you in Jesus. And all you have to do is trust him. And again, if that is you, please speak to the person who's invited you along or email me bibleshots at citybibleforum.org to help you think through what your next step is. But finally, before we jump into a couple of uh, questions, if you're already a follower of Jesus, I think the challenge is slightly different. You see, we're a little bit more like Ruth and Naomi at the very end of the chapter, where they're living in this in-between time. They have certainty of redemption, 
but events are still unfolding out of their control. You can understand how Ruth could have an anxiety-filled day ahead of her. But Naomi's counsel for Ruth is actually good counsel for us as well. God has sent his Redeemer. We might still be living in a world where things are out of our control, but in the midst of uncertainty, we can look to what God has done. We can look to the fact that he sent Jesus to die and to rise again, to rescue us, that he's given us his spirit, as long as recognising all the different ways he continues to provide for us day by day. If we trust Jesus, we can be confident that God will bring us home to have eternal life with him, no matter how uncertain things might seem in the present moment. What can you hope in? Well, no matter how uncertain life may seem, you can hope in God and his Redeemer. Thanks, Peter. Oh, well, thank you very much, Lachlan. And a lot of things have been revealed today. Um, one of them is that uh, Lachlan's pretty good at karaoke, so you might want to pop in a comment there. Uh, which song would you like him to sing a bit more of next week? Love is in the air, all right. I mean, he was fantastic. Um, but we've got some brilliant questions. We've really got just time for probably one or two, Lachlan, but they do centre around the idea of hope that you raised very early on in your talk. And there's a real, really heartfelt one here. It's really, the, the idea is that... Uh, not every faith-filled person actually experiences such a great outcome that that Ruth did. Mm. Um, what do you want to say about that? And there's a kind of a, a kind of a, a question from another source that is, you know, what do you actually mean by hope in this kind of um, hopeless world that we're experiencing? Do you want to comment on those? Sure. I'll take the first one first, and then you might want to remind me of the second one uh, after I do that. And I think it's a great question because there's lots of people who who you know. Uh, uh, can be good people or you know, Christians, followers of Jesus, who in purely worldly terms don't have great outcomes. Uh, you know, it's great that, you know, Ruth had Boaz show up and, and that was all fantastic. Uh, but not all of us are in that situation. Um, and that could be on a number of different fronts, you know, whether it's uh, in the field of you know, romance and, uh, and romantic relationships, whether it's to do with our jobs, whether it's to do with our health. Uh, lots of us could actually feel like we have really poor outcomes, like we we expecting so much more. And I think the key is to actually remember, well, what is it that the New Testament, what is it the Bible promises us? Uh, and so back in, uh, in ancient Israel, uh, there is actually quite a close tie to uh, physical blessing in the promised land. But that's not the case for us today. Uh, in fact, when you read through the New Testament, one of the things that Jesus tells his followers to do and that Paul, uh, one of the key writers in the New Testament, also teases out is that actually suffering and things going poorly is, a, is an expected part of the Christian life. We don't expect our lives to always be uh, full of comfort. Yes, there can be, uh, even in tough times, there might be time things we can look to and go, well, even in the midst of the tough time, that, that is something I can say God has shown kindness there. And we touched on that uh, in the first two weeks. But where we really look to, it's not uh, the hope that we have now in this world because those things continue to be uncertain. I could have a good job today, but I could lose it tomorrow. I could have my health today and lose that tomorrow. But what we hope in is that actually we have eternity with God secured because Jesus died on the cross. And so when we go through the ups and downs of life, we can go through seasons of plenty, we can go through seasons of want. Uh, but actually, if our hope is in Jesus, it means well, we're not going to hang on too closely. We can enjoy well the times of plenty, the times of goodness, 
but we can also not be bitter and despair over the times that are disappointing and hard and uncertain because actually we know where our end is. I think that's what allowed Paul to be so joyful when he's in prison uh, in his letter to the Philippians, um, is that his hope was ultimately in Jesus, not in his, uh, and his eternity with him, not in his present situation. Um, uh, sorry now, Peter, could you remind me of the second question? It was... Yeah, I think you've, uh, you've nailed it and you've been okay. able to encapsulate the second question, which was about the exact nature of hope in that answer. So thank you so much. And um, unfortunately, we're, we're right out of time now. So perhaps, Lachlan, you just want to give us just uh, one sentence on what we can expect next week at Bible Shots. Yeah, uh, so uh, next week, we're, it's a little bit different to what has been on the schedule. Uh, so we're actually going to be travelling down to Tasmania for four weeks. Uh, Are we allowed? Sorry? Are we allowed down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. virtually travelling down to Tasmania. So, uh, so City Bible Forum in Hobart are running their own Bible Shop series for four weeks. Uh, and so uh, the, um, uh, it's going to be on, um, <laughs> I've got to remember the, the exact advertising line, uh, but it's the, uh, P, the, the PR problem that Christianity can have. So it's looking at a couple of different issues. Uh, I'll be uploading it on the website uh, this afternoon or tomorrow, and there'll be an email going out early next week. So it's still going to be uh, same time and Zoom, Zoom or Facebook location. Uh, if you're not in Hobart, then you can still join in the same way uh, but we'll be joining. Yeah, we'll be joining the guys in Hobart for four weeks. Great. Okay. Thank you. Well, thanks, Lachlan, and thank you very much for being with us today. And we'll see you next week. Fantastic. Look forward to seeing you all uh, next week.